Good morning, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Janet and James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 28th in the year of our Lord. 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Janet and Ramcharan, the podcast. One of my best purchases, $3 at Dollarama. Sure, I had to stand behind a bunch of drug, fucking drug addict, meth head, fat, dumb customers in a lineup to get it. Wade through the sea of humanity. But hey, it's worth it, you know? Rubber chicken. Morning, folks. Up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, 4.16 in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See the bags under my eyes? Look at the bags under those eyes. Look at those eyes, boy. Let me see those eyes, boy. Having weird neurotic sleeps. <laughs> yeah. So if you're new to the show, Janitha Ramcher and the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And um, what's going on for me at the tail end of January 2020 is um, I'm getting some focus for how I want to, how I want to play this year, how I want to rock with it, roll with it this year as an actor extraordinaire. And one thing I've learned, um, one thing I've been thinking upon, is the famous quote by William Shakespeare. All the world's a stage, and all men and women merely players. Or something gay like that, right? All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. You know, the world's a stage and all of us are just merely players. And that can be a cock-beaten, kind of sour, dour, glum, Debbie Downer way to look at life for sure, right? What, this world's just a stage and all of us are just a bunch of goofball actors and actresses, you know, bumbling around out there trying to get your little 15 minutes of fame? Who gives a blood clot, bumble clot fuck, right? I'd rather just drop dead and get it over with, Right? Or it's like, okay, well, all the world's a stage, so play on, player. Play your role, right? No big deal. Don't get sweated and, you know, dogged down, beat down by the grind of life, you know? Play your role. It's all good, baby, baby. I got a letter in the mail recently. As you can see, it's been uh, pre-crumpled. Pre-crumpled due to some... um, past grievances, anger issues on my part. Um, One thing I was very fortunate for at the beginning of 2020 is to arrive into this new decade debt-free. I had paid off a student loan that was looming over my head, uh, mainly because, you know, as an artist, as an actor extraordinaire, you know, 
it's a pretty fun, charmed life. You live like Peter Pan, so, you know, responsibilities. Remember Rugrats? I don't know if you guys remember Rugrats. That was an old um, Nickelodeon cartoon. I think it might have been Canadian. Maybe it reached out to other countries, but Rugrats. <laughs> in, one, in one episode of Rugrats, the little, the little Rugrats, right? These little tykes, you know, they're fucking toddlers, you know, two, three years old. They bumble around and they go on their little misadventures, right? You know, you had Angelica, Tommy. Tommy was the ringleader of the group. He was like this bald little like two-year-old baby in a diaper, Tommy. Then there was um, Chucky. (laughs) Chucky was uh, Tommy's best friend, this red-headed, four-eyed, little freckle-faced fuck, Chucky. Then you had Angelica. Angelica was like five and she was just hell on wheels. This little fucking, you know, conniving little five-year-old. She was like Tommy's uh, cousin. Then you had Phil and Lil, the twins. <laughs> they were roughly like two or three years old too. And in this one episode of Rugrats, they were learning about responsibilities. <laughs> they called it responsibilities, you know. You know, so the world's a cock-beaten place where you have to learn about responsibilities, you know, as the Rugrats found out in that episode. So, you know, as I mentioned, this student loan that was looming over my head for many a year as an actor out there, you know, getting my kicks. Do you hear that? What the fuck was that? There's always something going on when you live in a city, right? like fucking four o'clock in the morning they're scraping and scrounging outside you assholes just go to bed fuck anyway debt free 2020 feeling good but then i get this letter in the mail ram charan jonathan J. statement of accounts statement of accounts what account I paid off the account. Direct financing student loan, establishments, payments, previous balance, adjustments, interest, new balance. And I'm not talking about the sneaker, folks. New balance. 0.86. The fucking government of Canada is on my ass for 86 cents. All the world's a stage, and all of us men and women merely players. You know, it's kind of um, funny that the government would um, dole out a loan to a struggling actor extraordinaire, knowing full well there's like no industry, it's like a creationist industry. You have to like create your own work. It's a hard knock life for a thespian. So you, you, you hand out a fucking loan to some struggling artist. You beat them over the brow for like a decade plus for your fucking pitiful little repayment plans. You know, we want $200 a month from you every month on the month. What's your ass? <sighs> you know, harassing and haranguing me for their measly fucking student loan repayment. And... At the very end of it all, they're after me for 86 cents. But all the world's the stage. And all the one of us, 
men and women are merely players. Like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? And, you know, it's kind of like, um, on one hand, it's like, well, you know, I thought I had started the new year off debt-free. Turns out I owed 86 cents. And on the other hand, it's like, well, yo, like, if you owe it, you owe it. Pay it. All the world's a stage. Play your role. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't have an ego about things. Don't look too far into the eyes of the enemy. Let it, like, you know, don't worry about anything. Ever. Roll with it. It's all a part of the play. It's all a part of being on stage. You know? So whatever. And um, I paid the 86 cents. Now, if I wanted to be uh, safe, I could have just rounded it up to like 90 cents. Or if I wanted to be really safe, I could have just rounded it up to a dollar. Because who knows? They might still try to charge me interest on that interest. You know what I mean? I might still owe interest on the 86 cents. So I might be getting a bill for fucking 10 cents, 15 cents. But I said, you know what? Fuck it. Let them chase me to the gates of hell. (laughs) So, um, you know, all the world's a stage. So you know what? Play your part. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. I am also an alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety. I'm sober as a church mouse. Squeak. You know? You ever see a church mouse? They don't drink. Sober as a church mouse. Coffee. Anyway, um, you know, at the top of a new year, one thing I've always noticed now that I'm sober, one thing I've been noticing lately um, in my sober life is whenever the new calendar rolls out, there's all these cockamamie schemes on how to get sober in a um, trendy way. You know, uh, people are looking to have their cake and eat it too. It's like a fad diet, you know, you know, lose the weight with none of the work, you know, all that backwards bonehead logic. It seems to get applied to sobriety lately as well. Now, I have an open mind, I like to believe, at least I strive for one. I strive to have an open mind. And there are many ways of recovery. But, you know, I come from a 12-step background. Um, and that's 12, step of re- 12 steps of recovery, generally speaking. Um, these are meetings you can attend all over the world. Uh, that's how far the program reaches. There's no dues, no fees, no emphasis on God or religion. It's strictly um, sort of like group therapy. You meet up at these meetings by your own schedule. Um, You practice these various steps of recovery. And, you know, you get to share on the issues pertaining to you and your alcoholism. And you get to hear from others. You get to hear what they have to say. And through that, you become a part of a community. You come out of your isolation because alcoholism is very 
isolating, self-centered, antisocial behavior. And day by day, your days add up. One day, you'll find yourself in a new life. And 12-step recovery. Um, the first step in a 12-step program being, one, we've admitted that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step in 12-step recovery. We admitted we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Then you wave your finger like I've been doing. And through that, it's like an admission to yourself that you have a problem, your life is unmanageable, alcohol you are powerless against, and that's some real honesty and insight and accountability. And it sets the tone for the rest of the 11 steps. You know, it, it really sets a tone of accountability. So that's what I find lacking. Lacking. That's what I find lacking in all these mamby-pamby, Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fake-ass fucking little get-sober-quick schemes. These cockamamie little fucking um, concoctions that these dummies drum up. Every fucking beginning of the calendar year. Every January, you can be sober with no effort. You're not an alcoholic. Read my book. Buy my program or whatever, right? Check this out. This is an article from the Now magazine. January 23rd to the... uh, January 23rd to 29th. 29th, 2020. This is an article. How to Go Cali Sober by Kieran Delmont. Delamont. With the holidays in the rear view mirror, many of us are taking stock. We look back at our alcohol consumption, look at our wallet, and maybe our waistline. Oh, isn't that cute? Is that what you look at when you consider your alcoholism, your waistline? What about the mental delusions, waking up in hospital, anxiety attacks, paranoid episodes, no family, friends, no money, you know, on death's doorstep? Is that what you look at when you consider your alcoholism? My waistline. You fucking vain, vapid, fucking vagabond. Anyway, check this. Many of us are taking stock. We look back at our alcohol consumption, look at our wallet, and maybe our waistline, (laughs) and tell ourselves, no more drinking. (laughs) Yeah, like that's going to work. It's a ritual for many. This year, it's become part of a marketing strategy for cannabis companies. It's called Dry January. And with a range of new pot products going going on sale to mark legalization 2.0, the idea is to swap in weed for booze. That's the idea, to swap in weed for booze. Switch one delusion for another delusion. They're interchangeable. Going Cali sober, the term for smoking weed but abstaining from alcohol, sounds cute, may be nice in theory, But with all the restrictions on public pot consumption in North America, it's harder to put in practice when you want to go out on the town. 
But that doesn't mean it's impossible. No, there's hope for you if you still want to be drugged up in public. All right. And then um, at this point, the article goes into um, different ways in which to integrate a pot smoking lifestyle into your socialization, right? You know, some people go to bars, right? You know, going out for bars, drinks with co-workers, whatever. The rest of the article goes into ways in which you can be in those scenarios as a pot smoker. So, for example, figure out your portable smoke solution. If you want to replace alcohol with weed, the obvious first step is to figure out how you're going to smoke weed. In the kind of social situations where people most often drink, smokers are left with few options but to go outside. Um, something to keep you moving. In this little blurb, they talk about different strands of marijuana. Um, sativas, indicas, and what these different strands of marijuana kind of do for you, right? Um, pick your replacement drink. Eventually, you're going to need to put a drink in your hand. I guess. There's always a glass of water, but if you're really trying to drop alcohol, you might need a better option. What? <laughs> Anyways, you know. Water's not good enough. <laughs> you need to drink fucking, I don't know, Dr. Pepper. That'll help you cure your alcoholism. There's all these cockamamie little fucking drummed up excuses. Embrace the change. <laughs> yeah, hug your addiction. Embrace the change. The hardest part of dropping booze for pot is getting out of your own way. Gee, really? The hardest part of dropping booze for pot is getting out of your own way. That's such a contradiction. You're not trying to get out of your own way. You're trying to find your way. You're trying to find yourself. You're not trying to avoid yourself. You're trying to get accountability for yourself. But hey, if you want to be a diluted fucking pot-smoking vagabond... Um, the hardest part of dropping booze for pot is getting out of your own way. Embrace the change in your routine. And finally, share the bud. The final tip, recruit some allies. Yeah, get other people hooked on drugs. The final tip, recruit some allies. In most groups, you'll, f you'll be able to find at least one or two people who are happy to smoke up with you. Yeah, so find other people to smoke up with you. And, um, you know, I joke, I joke, I kid, I kid. I give a bit of, I give a bit of a razzing to that article, but it's like, um, this is my opinion. It's, um, by no means a end all and be all in terms of recovery, but, you know, you got to, at least it's important for me to remember that I'm an alcoholic. I suffer from a two-part condition. Number one, when I take a drink of alcohol, I have an allergic reaction, my body breaks out into a craving, and I can't safely say when I'll stop. So that's the first part. And the second part, the mental obsession. When you're an alcoholic, you mentally obsess. It's all you think about day and night. Do you have enough money to drink? When can you drink next? How much have you drank? Um, will you drink more? Shoulda, woulda, coulda. All you think about is drinking. So that's the two-part condition. Number one, 
the allergic reaction slash craving, and number two, the mental obsession. And what all of this article falls under is mental obsession. People that don't have drinking problems don't obsess about different ways in which to cure a non-existent problem. If you can have a drink of alcohol, put it down, not think about it, and then maybe have one later if you should want one, or you, you, you have boundaries, you, have, you drink non-alcoholically. To drink non-alcoholically is like, it doesn't interfere with your life. It doesn't interfere with your thoughts. And all of this is interfering with your life and thoughts. Calculating and managing. Um, you know, maybe if I hold a Dr. Pepper and take a sip, ooh, that'll cure my alcoholism. Or maybe if I figure a way to smoke pot um, indoors with my coworkers, um, at the bar, if I can figure out a way to smoke weed socially acceptably, then I can cure my alcoholism. I can be Cali sober. It's a fool's game. It's a fool's game. If you have serious alcoholism, in my opinion, and again, that's all this is, my opinion, you need real solutions. And whether that, whether that be a 12-step program, whether that be under the tutelage of, Dr. Phil, you know what your problem is, buddy? You got a bad fucking attitude problem. You got no accountability, no respect. You know, you overindulge. You're a fucking delinquent. You're a vagabond. Your life's in turmoil. You know, if you want to like fall under the tutelage of Dr. Phil, I highly recommend that as well. He's got a lot of um, insight. Whatever floats your boat. You want to join a Hare Krishna cult? Start clanging and banging beads? Well, don't do that. But like, basically, whatever floats your boat in recovery, whatever gets you across the finish line, go for it. But realize you can't have your cake and eat it too, in my opinion. You can't. And, you know, you're just setting yourself up for failure to switch one addiction to another. Because when you suffer from a substance abuse problem life in general is a gateway drug you know just the existence of a daily life can be enough to trigger somebody to relapse into their alcoholism so what do you think taking bong hits at the bar with your buddies and sipping on a dr pepper is going to do for you it's going to bring you even closer to hell you know so anyways it's food for thought it's strictly my opinion and, you know, I guess what I would like anyone listening to take away from this is keep an open mind and also keep very aware of the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of alcoholism and in a general sense, addiction. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. <laughs> I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, urinal cakes, parking lots, fucking, um, you know, organic waste bins, recycle bins, you know, garbage bins, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. 
I'm a motherfucking janitor. Very blessed for it. Um, it facilitates um, my life, my lifestyle. Um, as I mentioned, I am an alcoholic. And having a daily hustle to earn a honest income keeps me on the straight and narrow. Because idle hands are the devil's playground. <laughs> idle hands are the devil's playground. So having a 9 to 5 keeps me earning an honest income. It keeps my time accounted for. And, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, doing something positive that earns an income is a benefit to a life. And number two, um, I am an artist, actor, extraordinaire, and it facilitates my game. You know, I got expenses, podcast expenses, um, the expenses of furthering your skills, um, the expense of having an opportunity to, you know, maybe travel somewhere for work. The things that you have to do as an independent actor, artist. I'm an independent. I'm an upstart. And I have expenses. So that's what my janitorial hustle pays for, you know. And one thing they, f they fail to mention, if you're out there and you're a starving artist, which I've lived for many years in my alcoholism, I bounced around in men's shelters, couch surfed, broke ass, drinking my paychecks away as an artist, you know. And when you're living in the throes of an artistic lifestyle, what they fail to mention is it's only cool when you make it, if you make it. Unless that happens, you're just pretty much a washed up loser, has been hack, fucking mooch, leech, living on someone's couch. You're, you're in a poor excuse for a human being. You're fucking pawn scum, you know, you're the scum of the earth, you know. What do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? Elvis or something? That don't impress me much. Uh, uh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think you're all right. But that won't keep me warm in the long, cold, lonely night. That don't impress me much. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got Shania Twain twanging and singing a song about your broke ass, you know, like... The last thing you want to be is a struggling artist that never makes it. So, through my janitorial hustle, I've learned how to work smarter and not harder. Smarter, not harder. And, um, ooh, chair squeak. And I'm very blessed for that. But there are always, there are, there are always a few laughs, a couple chuckles, a couple guffaws that come up in the game of janiteering. Um, so my manager, I get along with quite well. She's a very, um, very, uh, a very good manager. I'm struggling to find the words. <laughs> I'm getting choked up just thinking about my beloved manager. No, but she's a very kind lady. Um, I'm very happy that she gave me the opportunity to come on board with the team as a janitor. It's actually been very good for me. Um, she's a lesbian woman. And she's happily married with a wife. 
And she's asked me about my podcast a few times, and I told her, "Mm, (laughs) don't ever listen to it. (laughs) You're probably not going to enjoy it, because she's like, um, she's very sensitive and, um, you know, very, you know, warm-spirited, sensitive to, you know, my sense of humor. (laughs) And, you know, I I would never recommend her to listen to my humor. So, uh, disclaimer alert, disclaimer alert, if um, my manager is listening or if anyone sensitive is listening, I'm about to be hilarious, all right? Warning, warning, I'm about to be hilarious. So, um, (laughs) my lesbian manager, she jerks off a fucking vacuum cleaner in front of me. The other day. Unfucking believable. She 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 literally gives a hand job to a vacuum cleaner in front of me the other day. L- at least this is the way I see it. So I get this call. Jonathan to the manager's office. So I go down to the manager's office, right? And you're like, Jonathan, you need to go and uh, vacuum the foyer. The foyer, right? I'm like, okay, no problem. But the vacuum, the the handle, it's stuck in the vacuum hose, right? So I'm tugging on this fucking vacuum hose. Damn thing. What do you want me to do about it? The damn thing's jammed, right? I'm tugging on this fucking vacuum uh, hose. The fucking hose is stuck. So my manager's like, oh, well, no, here's what you do. She goes and she gets a bottle of fucking um, of soap. And she pours it. She pours the soap on the, on the vacuum handle. And she's fucking jerking this fucking, this, this awkward jerking motion. She's just like jerking this fucking vacuum, vacuum cleaner handle off right in front of me, right in front of my Peruvian fucking supervisor. She goes, oh, I didn't know you do that. <laughs> you do that? She's jerking off this fucking vacuum. And I'm like looking at this whole situation, right? It was just, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, I could probably do better than that <laughs> you know like you know a lesbian giving a hand job it's like would it kill i mean if you're gonna use soap to jerk off a vacuum cleaner would it kill you to work up a lather you know get a little lather going get some suds going and really go to you know she's doing this awkward stilted fucking like you know i could give a better hand job than that you know and <laughs> it was awkward as sin man just like watching this and then oh yeah then this happened um my coworker, um, we'll call him, uh, I don't know, you fill in the blank, you know, check out this accent. Oh, yes. He's one of those types, right? So we're talking about marriage, right? And uh, look, I'm sweating, you know, oh my God, they're going to cancel my podcast. Um, so we're talking about marriage. And um, we're talking about how my boss, she wants to get married and, you know, she is married and kids. And we're not even talking about my boss. We're just talking about um, how marriage happens, right? And what's the best age to get married? So then, he's talking, right? He goes, the best age to get married? 15. Back home, the women in the country, they get married at 15. The best. The best. And he's like exclaiming to a room full of women how 15-year-old girls are the best to get married. The best. The best. (laughs) My manager loses her shit, right? She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? 
Oh my God. There's women across the world getting, you know, sexually trafficked. You know, there's women around the world getting, you know, sold into sex trafficking and da 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 And then I chime in, right? I'm like, well, they can always finish high school some other time, you know? <laughs> they can always finish high school at some other date. Let them get married at 15, right? Builds character. 15 is the best. The best. <laughs> so, you know, ugh, lesbian hand jobs, you know, 15-year-old mail-order brides. Like, there's always room for hilarity at the workplace, you know. But hey, like I said, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I'm just going to keep pushing that mop bucket. <laughs> keep washing them windows. Keep pushing my garbage trolley. You know, keep vacuuming. You know, try to jerk off a vacuum cleaner or two. And, you know, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. So there you have it, folks. Janitor Ramcharan. Janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes. Got the fucking hiccups. <laughs> you know? Stand-up comedian extraordinaire. 11 years of service. And um, what's going on for me here, 2020? Um, I am working. I am working on a new hour. Yeah. Um, my goal is to record some, some sort of content along the lines of a stand-up comedy uh, content, you know. I don't know what it would be. It could be like an hour special, a half-hour special. But I'm officially saying this to keep myself motivated, you know, because um, as you can see, it's hard work being a stand-up comedian, you know. That little fucking, you know, <laughs> lesbian handjob vacuum cleaner scenario, you know, who knows how that came across, if it was funny, if it wasn't. It takes refinement. It takes work. And it also takes um, pushing yourself, you know, pushing yourself out of the nest, you know, to spread them damn wings. And that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, my goal is set to do something along those lines. ASAP. And I'm working towards that. I've just started a new writing regiment, you know? Um, I incorporate it as a part of my day. Like, I always write. Um, I would say more than most, but not better than most, if that makes sense. I'm somewhere in that middle ground where it's like, I'm fairly disciplined as a comic, but I can go, I should be going further. Um there's a lot that I need to step up in my game. And that's kind of why I am speaking like this. Like, the goal is to get some content on the stand-up on the stand -up comedy tip done and released um, ASAP. And I'm working with a lot of new material and stuff. It's going to take time. But, you know, that's why I'm saying it here, to keep myself accountable. And, um, you know... Feeling fucking rejuvenated, fresh, recharged for it, right? Because, um, you know, this new writing schedule, it's been really dope. Um, been busting my hump. And I'm focusing on creation. Yeah. And there you have it, folks. Jantha Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And those are the four 
things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, what do we got on the docket? Oh, yeah. Weinstein. Jeffrey Weinstein. So, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know if it's even worth talking about, to be honest with you. This is an article from uh, Saturday, January 25th, 2020. Um, Harvey Weinstein. This is an article from the Toronto Sun, Saturday, January 25th, 2020. And it's just a recap of what's going on with the Harvey Weinstein case. Some of the new, um, new testimony. For example, New York. Actress Rosie Perez took the stand in the rape trial of Harvey Weinstein Friday to bolster the account of friend and fellow actress Annabella Cisora, Ciora, S-C-I-O-R-R-A who said she was raped by the former Hollywood producer in the early 1990s. Perez, whose film credits include Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing, just told Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, of course I know that, you know, D, motherfucker, D, told jurors Sarara, S-C-I-O-R-R-A, shared details of the alleged assault, including that Weinstein had pinned her arms above her head as he raped her. So yes, this is the new um, the new testimony. Rosie Perez, famed actress, has um, stepped up as a you know to give some testimony. She claims she had a phone call with Cisora. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Annabella, S C I O R R A. Um, and then, yes, there's a picture of Harvey Weinstein, and he's walking with a walker now, and it's all so circus-like, you know? All of a sudden, he's on death's doorstep, walking with a respirator and a fucking, uh, walker, you know? Uh, you know, there's, you know, since 2017, more than 80 women including many famous actresses, have accused Weinstein of sexual misconduct. Um, the accusations fueled the hashtag MeToo movement, in which women have accused powerful men of sexual misconduct. Weinstein has denied the allegations. Perez, testifying for prosecution, said she called Sayora. One night to invite her to go out, but Sayora answered in a strange whisper voice. When she asked Sayora what was wrong, Sayora answered, I think something bad happened. I think I was raped. Perez testified that when she asked Sayora who had raped her, Sayora only said, I can't. I can't. Months later, Perez said she heard rumors that Weinstein was stalking Sayora in London, and put two and two together. That was in quotations. Put two and two together. Perez said she called Sayora, who told her that Weinstein had raped her. 
Sayora testified that her encounter with Weinstein left her depressed, causing her to drink heavily and cut herself, and unable to tell her family what had happened. Under questioning from one of Weinstein's lawyers, Donna wrote Uno, Sayora acknowledged she had not reported the alleged rape to authorities or sought medical help. Yes. What I find so fascinating about this case is, like, to go back to the Ricky Gervais joke of um, this past Golden Globes, the Golden Globe Awards, uh, I guess 2020, was it this year, or was it the tail end of last year? I don't know, I think it was this year, the Golden Globes 2020, Ricky Gervais had a great joke. Uh, are they right? Uh, 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 America? So, uh, Bird Box, you guys have seen that movie Bird Box, starring Sandra Bullock? Sandy Bullock. It's a film about uh, people who, in order to avoid danger, pretend to see nothing. Kind of like the Hollywood community, I'd say. Oh, fuck off. Y'all, y'all live in it. You're the ones who did it. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> you know, something to that effect. You know, Ricky Gervais, irreverent, hilarious, um, Big fan of his, you know, extras, The Office, um, Afterlife, his specials, you know, that tooth of his, <laughs> which I seem to copy. But, uh, you know, Ricky Gervais, that joke that, um, oh, you know, uh, Bird Box, it's a movie about people trying to survive in a life by seeing nothing. Kind of like the Hollywood community. <laughs> You know, that's what I find so fascinating about this fucking, um, this fucking uh, Weinstein case where it's just like so many people knew and so many people did nothing because it served their agenda. You know, as long as they're getting paid, who gives a fuck? Now that it's um, a movement to resurrect some dead careers, everybody's jumping on it. And that doesn't negate what he did. And the truth hopefully will come out and all will be accounted for. But I find it very interesting that it took so long. And I guess that is the complexity of that issue where people have a hard time finding their voice, their shame, guilt a lot of psychology behind that. And I'm not one of those people who get bent out of shape over doctors and their fucking opinions. But just knowing how I operate as a human being, not to put myself or compare myself in that situation, but I understand in myself the complexity of my thoughts and feelings. So it's not a stretch for me to to understand like, okay... If someone's been sexually assaulted, maybe it's something that they are severely dealing with. And it's not easy for them to come forward and say what they have to say. It's not as simple as that. You know, you don't need to be a fucking medical psychologist. I studied Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was a pervert himself. Didn't you see that fucking movie with Kira Knightley? And here's the thing about Kira Knightley. Beautiful face. Um, no tits, no ass. What am I looking at? But 
that was just a cheesy joke that I thought of um, yesterday, actually. I was walking down the street, and I saw this beautiful billboard of her, and she was, like, sitting poised like that, like, modeling a watch. She was just, like, modeling a watch. And I was like, Kira Knightley, no tits, no ass. What am I looking at? <laughs> beautiful, talented, and a horrible place to interject that joke, <laughs> But um, if you can call it that. But, you know, what took these people so long to oh yeah like like yeah sigmund freud straight up pervert so like why would i believe a psychologist anyway sigmund freud who's that other one um you know sigmund freud was played by uh victor hugo or hugo victor victor hugo foxtrot alpha tango what the fuck you know aragon vigo mortensen so yeah vigo mortensen played like sigmund freud and um, the other guy, good actor, forget his name, something or other. Yeah, he's a really good actor, and he's kind of within the last decade. But I can't really remember his name offhand. But he, anyways, he plays Carl Jung. So these fucking psychologists are a bunch of perverts anyways. So when they're trying to explain to you the psychology of a, of a rape victim, it's like, well, you probably raped her. That's why you know, you fucking pervert. But um, anyways... Um, that's what I find very fascinating about this trial is like the amount of people who knew and said nothing. And, um, hey, I know for myself um, that growing up, we were taught as men, no means no. And we took it as that, no means no. But I know for myself I never considered that unwanted advancements, comments, you know, like it, it wouldn't even, con- I wouldn't even consider it anything to go up to a woman at a bar and just be drunk and be like, hey, nice tits, want to fuck? Like I would say things like that, you know, and because I found it funny, I could laugh about it with the boys or whatever. And it never struck me as like, think about how crazy that is to like approach somebody and you don't know out of the blue and just make a comment or, you know, make an advancement because it's like, well, no means no. She said no. And we can laugh it up and slough it off. But it's like, well, still, even if you adhere to the no means no, it's no excuse to be a pig. You know what I mean? So, you know, I definitely ain't no fucking feminist warrior for the cause, you know, like I'm, I'm understanding of the change that I had to go through, you know, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just one of those ugly things that nobody really wants to look in the mirror and face and be involved in. We don't want to face it in ourselves and we don't want to be involved in a situation like that. You know, you don't want to lend a comment. You don't want to lend a helping hand. You don't, it's just like, get it out of here. Keep my world insular, you know? And, you know, um, I'm happy that this movement happened on that level, you know? Um, I can't claim to be some champion for women's rights and everything because I still like pussy. I'm still a fucking bonehead metrosexual. <laughs> heterosexual dude um who 
you know, I ain't, I ain't the one to voice and champion that, but I am one of those people who need to listen and make the adjustments that I have made, I believe, because, yeah, prior to that movement, hashtag Me Too movement, it never even really crossed my mind. Well, actually, leading up to it, leading up to it on the cusp of it, and it really, well, regardless of that, it really opened my mind, eyes, and I hope other people's eyes too, that it's like the idea of like just even proposing that type of shit or making comments is so un, is so unacceptable. And to be honest, I never even thought of it that way. Because, hey, no means no. She said no, and so what if I fucking catcalled at her and <laughs> nice tits, toots, or whatever the fuck, right? Like, who cares? You know, she said no, and we laugh about it. Nah, let's go for a drink. And, you know, it's unacceptable, right? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What are you guilty of? What do you believe in? What do you think of this hashtag Me Too movement? What is the responsibility of an artistic community or any community when they see these types of things happening? Do they speak up? Do they say anything? Or do they just let it ride? You know, just, oh, I I didn't see anything. Uh What do you think? jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Okay. Um, What have we got here? Oh, Trump impeachment. Uh, Yibbity, yibbity, blah, 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 blah. Well, actually not blah, 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 blah. Let me get into it, yeah. So, Trump, his impeachment trial is underway. Um, News is kind of slow moving. At the moment, I believe the opening um, arguments have been settled and they're now into the trial. Um, Whatever the fuck that means. I ain't no cleric of the fucking court. I believe the opening arguments as of now are uh, closed and the trial has fully begun, whatever the fuck that means. And um, this is an article from, this is an older article, but it's still relevant to what's going on because just because we live in this news cycle where it's like instantaneous news, doesn't like, are, are people like trying to feed the news? Are people trying to make the news move quicker than the news is you know what i mean it's a nuisance the news because it's like the news moves as the news moves the story progresses as the story progresses so while this is an old article and i'm doing a podcast i'm thinking to myself oh should i be using old news but it's like old news we're talking about a a fucking presidential impeachment trial these are things that are slow moving a lot of information to cover, a lot of shit to talk about. And, you know, this is like an article from two days ago. You know, what could have really happened in 48 hours? A lot can happen, right? But anyways, it gets me thinking about news cycles. Fake news, okay? It's all a witch hunt, okay? Anyways, Trump tried to cheat. Article from Toronto Sun, Saturday, January 25th, 2020. Article by Susan Cornwell and David Morgan. Okay. Washington. U.S. President Donald Trump was the ringleader 
of an effort to coerce Ukraine to dig up dirt on the domestic political rival Joe Biden. The Ukraine... Okay, so I fucked up, all right? Take two. U.S. President Donald Trump was the ringleader of an effort to coerce Ukraine to dig up dirt on a domestic political rival, worked hard to cover it up, and has shown no remorse, Democratic lawmakers said Friday in his impeachment trial. In their third and final day of opening arguments, Democrats tried to cement their case that Republican Donald Trump has abused his power by pressuring pressuring Kiev to investigate Joe Biden, a former U.S. vice president and a contender for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, and then obstructed Congress inquiring into the matter of barring witnesses and withholding documents. The Democratic-led House of Representatives last month passed two articles of impeachment setting the stage for trial in the Republican-led Senate on whether to oust Trump before he seeks a second term in November election. Rep. Hakeem Jeffries, uh, one of the House managers prosecuting the case, said Trump was calling the shots in soliciting Ukraine's interference in the 2020 U.S. election, and others in the White House assisted him in trying to hide evidence of misconduct when it was exposed. President Trump tried to cheat. He got caught and then he worked hard to cover it up, said Jeffries, who added that there was a toxic mess in the White House and needed to be cleaned up on behalf of the American people. (laughs) Trump denies any wrongdoing and describes the impeachment as a hoax, okay? The impeachment is a hoax. Democrats have accused Trump of pressuring Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky in a July 25 phone call to investigate Biden and his son, Hunter, who served on the board of Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Sounds like a fucking latte. Burisma. Anyway. Hunter, who served on the board of Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Doesn't, doesn't fucking George Clooney sell those things late at night? You know? Try the Burisma. It's an energy-efficient Ukrainian espresso. <laughs> Try the Bermissimo. It's a very good, uh, you know, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, latte, uh, cappuccino, you know, it's a, it's for your coffee break. Niet, niet, yenes nayo, da. Try the Bermissimo, okay, Joe Biden? This commercial brought to you by Joe Biden. Try the Bermissimo coffee. Ca- ah, you get the point. <clears throat> They then, they say Trump temporarily, temporarily withheld 391 million U.S. in military aid to Ukraine as leverage for his demands. Trump's allies have argued his conduct doesn't rise to the level of an impeachment offense. The U.S. Constitution says, sets out the impeachment process for removing a president who commits high crimes and misdemeanors. He has shown neither remorse nor acknowledgement of wrongdoing, said Democratic Rep. Adam Schiff, who, was, who has spearheaded the prosecution of Trump in the trial. Do you think if he 
Do you think if we do nothing, it's going to stop now? Democrats this week have outlined their charges that Trump only grew interested in corruption in Ukraine when it appeared that Biden could become a serious political threat. The president is expected to be acquitted in the Senate where a two-thirds vote is required to convict and remove a president from office. No Republican senator has voiced any support for his ouster. Okay. So yeah, they need a two-third vote in the Senate to oust, impeach President Donald Trump. Now, as I gather, um, I believe there's something like, um, what is it? 47 Democrats to the um, 53, I think it's like 47 Democrats in the Senate, two independents, or two independents, and then like 51, that makes sense? There's like, yeah, 47, yeah, like 47, 47 Democratic seats, um, two independent, and then 51 Republican, something like that. One of the figures I read was they just needed four votes. And, you know, no Republican, you know, the, I guess the Democrats need like four votes to get an impeachment. I could be wrong. Anyways, from this article, it says a two-third, two-third um, vote count. Not that votes count. <laughs> votes don't count, you fucking idiot. But um, apparently they need a two-third vote count. Um, none of these Republicans have stepped forward and publicly backed an impeachment or a, uh, a vote for impeachment. But hey, that could just be a political game of not wanting to sour their name within the, within the Republican Party. They might want to just drop the bomb when it's time to drop the bomb. Like they don't want to blah, 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 blah until game day, right? So that could just be a political move. Um, hey, personally, like think about it. Like how can a president use his position to withhold funds for military aid or whatever type of aid to another country to leverage an investigation on a political rival. It just reeks of like dissent. Is that the word? Like, um, you know, it reeks of a disharmony, a disunion within a country to like, seek political help elsewhere in like sort of a espionage, corrupt, treasonous, slimy, slippery, backhanded manner, which apparently they've proven. These Mueller reports and inquiry reports and depositions, the people, the it's like a circus for motherfuckers to set their cameras up and feel like they're important and a part of their times. The Nancy Pelosi's, the whoever's, the whatever's. I'm a person of my time. And, you know, Mr. Speaker, you know what? You know what? We ever like watch a trial or watch anything happen in like, um, you know, Congress, Senate, Parliament here in Canada. You ever watch it when they get to doing their like political punditry? 
They do their political punditry and their little fucking wordplay, jargon, filibustering, boondoggle fucking bullshit. Mr. Speaker, the speaker will stop speaking. Mr. Speaker, I commence. Mr. Speaker, will you please stop? I said, and they're, they're, they're banging their gavels and they're talking in these weird political manners. The president, the speaker will stop. Mr. Speaker, will you not stop? No. And they're banging their gavels and their fucking little pundit, little prick buddies in their corner are like, Mr. Speaker, I will not stop speaking. <laughs> you know, like some big courtroom fucking Perry Mason drama. Like it's a bunch of horse shit. Can't you see we're being boondoggled, boonswoggled, you know? Anyways, I got no stomach for it. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You know, is this impeachment a possibility? Is it called for? What in the world is going on? Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Or, uh, United States, you know? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, you know, what is there to say other than Let's see what they tell us. You know what I mean? Like, I have a hard time believing any media sources. Not believing any media sources, but I have a hard time accepting anything I hear just on face value. It's like this whole online world, as connective and connected as we all are, it also really opens up a broad line of questioning, inquiry, skepticism. It's like, what's the real story? What is the truth? You know? Which is a good thing, but it's also kind of disheartening to feel like, you know, you're being lied to at every turn. But, you know, that's life. Not much different. Um, oh, yeah. What else is going on? SARS. Coronavirus. So the coronavirus is um, alive and well, functioning in the world, um, scaring people to death, literally killing people. Um, you know, but I mean, it's a sad, ugly thing, but luckily it's not... Um, I mean, I don't know. The World Health Organization is trying to keep people calm. It's relatively hard to it's relatively hard to catch. You have to be like in a living situation, you know, living within a dwelling in close proximity, in close contact, consistent proximity to a person who's infected. That was a bit of a mouthful. But you got to be in close proximity to a person who's infected and be around them for a prolonged period of time. So here's an article just on what's going on with the virus and what's going on with it here in Canada, Toronto. So this is first presumptive Canadian case of coronavirus confirmed in Toronto. Now, um, as I read this, I believe there's two cases now. Let's see if I can get a more updated one. 
Diddly do the news technology. Cell phones news. Here we go. Oh no, I do have a good article. I got one right here. Now, I don't worry so much about the death count and the da-da-da-da. I mean, it's sad and it's like unavoidable and it can't be helped. Like, not that it's unavoidable, but it's like, I don't like to dwell on negative things I can't help. Like, if people die from a virus, I can't help that. And all I can do is just, Make a joke, <laughs> you know, like, for example, um, you know, I was thinking about that. It's like, there's nothing funny about coronavirus. Wait a minute. Literally, wait a minute. You know, there's nothing funny about coronavirus. Wait a minute. Face masks 101. Hey, if you've ever been suffering from a fucking worldwide plague pa- pandemic, you know, you might want to check out Face Masks 101. Oh, this handy little guide to wearing a face mask in the world of pandemic pandemonium. All right. Here are five things to know about face masks. A simple surgeon's mask, the paper kind that those fucking weirdo fucking Asians wear at a fucking airport. Here you go again, typecasting. All right. The paper kind that loops behind your ears will protect your mouth and nose from the people's saliva. That's pretty handy to know. But they don't protect you from breathing in small airborne particles. You might wear one of those if you have any symptoms of the flu or a cold as you want to protect others from your coughing and or sneezing. A respirator mask means business. These boys filter the air you breathe and will protect you against smaller airborne particles like jizz and ass crumbs. What? But they have to be fitted properly properly against your face to prevent, oh, to create a seal. During SARS, the N95 respiratory mask was popular. The 95 refers to the percentage of gunk these masks can protect you from. Respirators are not easy to breathe through as they seal tight to the face. If cases of the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan coronavirus, turn up here, there may be a sort of facial protection you'll see on the front line doctors and nurses. And deadly, deadly duh, you know, wearing a face mask, you know. I want to start wearing a face mask just to scare people, you know what I mean? Like, you're walking around with a fucking face mask. Oh my god, it's a burka. No, even worse, it's a fucking SARS mask. Oh. <laughs> Take that damn thing off. Alright. And, um, you know, I don't have to read so much about it, you know? I mean... Suffice to say, the coronavirus, um, it started in the Wuhan district of, it's like a district somewhere in China, let let it be a city, a town, or whatever, a district. The Wuhan district of China, 
uh, somewhere in China. It started from these wet markets, you know, um, unsanitary conditions for livestock. The intermingling of livestock and people spread this contamination. And, you know, it's been going on through the world. Um, some of the latest news on the matter, um, just to be quick here and to be succinct and succinct and the deed, the deed, um, Got it right here, folks. I hate these little fucking pauses of, um, well, they're not so bad if you don't gripe about them like I do, but, you know, it's not the most professional. You know, I can't even find it. And as I mentioned here, like I have a newspaper article. This is like kind of old news at this point, like Saturday, January 25th, 2020. They've had like um, more reported cases since then. Um, but basically, like, as of Saturday, when this article that I'm reading was posted, Saturday, January 25th, 2020, um, you know, the Health Commission of Hubei province said in a statement published earlier Saturday that 180 new cases had been reported as of the end of Friday, putting the total number of confirmed patients in the province to 752. So that's how many people were, were uh, found with it in the province of Wuhan. There has been no new national level data available yet from Chinese authorities. The National Health Commission on Friday had confirmed 830 cases. The vast majority of cases and all of the 41 confirmed deaths to date have been in China. But the virus has been detected in Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Nepal, France, and the United States. The World Health Organization, WHO, declared the new coronavirus an emergency in China this week, but stopped short of declaring it an international concern. The virus continues to spread globally. However, French authorities reported Europe's first confirmed cases on Friday evening. Wuhan, a city of 11 million at the center of the outbreak. Okay, it's a city. Wuhan, a city of 11 million at the center of the outbreak, is in virtual lockdown. Nearly all flights at Wuhan's airport have been canceled and checkpoints block the main roads leading out of town. Authorities have since imposed similar lockdowns on more than 10 cities near Wuhan as part of the ongoing contaminant effort. Containment effort. Yes. So, as of January 25th, 2020, 830 cases, the vast majority of the cases, and all of the 41 deaths confirmed uh, have been in China. And since then, I know the numbers have gone up a bit, but not a major spike. As of yet, it's not considered a... The World Health Organization doesn't classify it as an international concern, as of yet. Kind of convenient, don't you think, though? You know, here's a trip. It's like, you know, a, a week ago, a week or two ago, you know, the world was screaming, World War Three! Oh, my God, we're on the outset of a World War Three! Oh, my God, governments colliding, clashing over fucking nuclear arms and oil and natural resources and terrorism. Oh, my God, the world's going to hell. World War Three! Then conveniently enough, 
Oh, coronavirus. International, um, well, they're not saying it is, but at some point they're probably going to break that news. Like, it's traveling globally, and it's making all this concern in the news. And it's like, kind of convenient, right? Kind of convenient that, you know, one minute you're telling us it's World War Three, next minute you're telling us, oh, there's a global um, pandemic of a virus, and, um, you know... Worry about yourself. Never mind what we're doing in government. Just worry about yourself. Wash your hands, folks. <laughs> Masks one-on-one. How to wear a SARS mask, you know? But hey, um, <laughs> you know, it's almost like a repeat. In some level, I've lived this already. I remember, like, I remember, like, um, remember swine flu, you know? Remember North Korea? Remember when they were going to kill the world? Like, it's almost like a repeat of bullshit, bullshit. So it's almost like nothing to even think about. Just wash your hands, eat your vegetables, say your prayers, and keep focused on the future. Um, You know, and, you know, going forward, you know, January's pretty much here at a close. Um, 2020, you know. I just say grab it by the fucking ball sack and enjoy it, you know? Enjoy. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 28th in the year of our Lord. 2020. Hashtag me too. Harvey Weinstein. Sex trial. Um... President Donald Trump, impeachment, coronavirus. Hey, this is the times in which we live in. And to be a person of your time, it's important to consider, think about, and discuss these issues. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What is your thought on um, these very pressing issues and matters of our time hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com going forward with the podcast got a lot of great ideas for some humor some segments some ideas to keep it titillizing to keep it um you know fresh so thank you very much for listening and viewing till next time you live it you love it you realize it all right peace